Welcome to Teach, Reflect, Recharge, Repeat, the podcast where education meets a little inspiration. Brought to you by PD Reimagined, we're here to inspire teachers to flourish both in and outside the classroom. I'm your host, Nadine Levitt, and today we're going to talk about the power of our voices uh, with the wonderful vocal coach and vocal technician to some of our favorite artists and TV personalities, Miss Valerie Morehouse. She recently released a book, A Better Voice, which takes us behind the curtain to reveal some of the real life struggles that artists face and how they overcame them. Uh, although the stories have been depersonalized, you do get to see some amazing photos and read also some direct quotes from artists like Sam Smith, Christina Perry, Avril Lavigne, Derek Wibley, Drew Taggart from Chainsmokers, Steve Aoki, the TV DJ and producer, Jeff Bridges, an actor. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's literally some of Hollywood's and I should say the nation's um, royalty in terms of entertainment. The surprising discovery for me really was, though, as I was reading this book, is that really these stories are not so far removed from our own experiences, even if you're not a singer, because the voice is so important for so many different things, including self-expression and connection. And recently there was a study that revealed that our vocal imprint, which like a fingerprint is unique to each person, is uh, often more important than the words themselves. There's a familiarity that is evoked in hearing certain voices. And so the trust levels that you give that person is affected. Voices induce that em emotional reaction that can contribute to one's uh, both therefore personal and uh, professional success, I guess, because of that level of trust that people feel. But let's get the conversation started. Welcome, Valerie. Hello, guys. Thank you for joining us today. It's a privilege to be here. And my very close friend, Nadine, invited me weeks ago, and I I couldn't wait. I think education is um, sort of just a lost profession these days. It's, um, it's a very difficult and it's very taxing. And also, you're using your voices all day long. You're talking to people all day long. And depending on the classroom size, depending on the age of students you have, depending on what you teach, um, it's 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 a lot of output and a not a lot of input. And I find that to be true. I don't have a classroom full of people. I do one on ones. But I find at the end of the day, I don't have a lot of gas left. I'm just exhausted, just whether I'm FaceTiming or I'm in person with people. Um, you're just giving, 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 and you want them to have your knowledge. But at the end of the day, you don't have a lot left. And, you know, if you're like me, I don't know if any of you lose your just lose your speaking voices. Um, I'm primarily I'm a singing coach, but I do work with a lot of people, a lot of broadcasters, people who have to um, be on stage or use their voice uh, you know, life coaching, if you will, but anybody that uses their voice for a living, teaching, talking over people, talking over students, talking over kids, um, getting on stage and, and performing, singing, it, it's nice to know what you don't know about your own voice. And so hopefully today we can dive in a little deeper and it's something that's interesting to you and you can use some of the tips in your classroom. Um, again, uh, trying to cut through all the noise um, of everyone if you do have a noisy class unless you're that teacher that everybody's just super quiet when you speak. Class management skills. <laughs> exactly. My teacher, I remember, used to talk really quietly. And the more the loud the class would get, the more quiet she would get. And then everybody would finally calm down. But your voice is an instrument. And you have two vocal cords, right, that sit in a vocal box. And they come together and they vibrate. They phonate. And that's what creates the sound. But when we're tired and we're exhausted from speaking at the end of the day, uh, the vocal cords get tired. And so we start using muscles in the neck to try to talk. And we start using 
um, you know, our bodies to speak. And it's, it's just, it can be very exhausting. And so if nothing today, maybe you'll take away an understanding of how your actual speaking voice works, because a lot of people don't, people don't even think about it. So I would say, ask about, I'm going to let Nadine take the floor and just sort of ask the questions and, and find <laughs> out what you guys are interested in and what you'd like to know. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. You talk about uh, singers as athletes and vocal cords as muscles, and you go to the gym to to train the same way an athlete goes to the gym and works out and trains and stretches and so on and so forth. We need to do the same thing for our voices. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more? Because the vo you sort of touched on it, the vocal cords and muscles, but just the anatomy itself, I'd just be interested for you to explain that. So just having a cursory knowledge of that, we have, again, two white bands of muscle that sit in a vocal box and they sit in our neck. And the one thing that I always tell my students is we have to protect the vocal cords. We have to strengthen them. Think of it like sit-ups. It's your core, right? You can do bicep curls all day. You can do back. You can do lunges. But if you have a, if you have a, a, a not a strong core, not a strong back, Usually you're going to you're going to have a difficulty in whatever sport you're in, even boxing. You know, you don't swing from the, the shoulder. It's through the core. And so you think of singing and your vocal cords as being your core anatomy. We have 27, 28 muscles fully in the neck um, and they're very strong and they have to be because why they have to hold up our heads. Um, so if you think about just that alone, um, talking all day when you're not coming from your mask, we call this our masks, our faces, and you're not projecting as a person or projecting as a teacher from here, you can start to talk down here a little bit. We do something called vocal fry when we get tired. I used to do that when I was younger and I would talk really low and I would do this thing where I would drag my voice and I knew better as a singer not to do that. Um, but slowly but surely what happens to your vocal cords if you lose your voice at the end of the day, they swell. And when they swell, it's dangerous because you have blood vessels in the vocal cords. And when they swell, those blood vessels can explode. You can actually have a bleed out, which it's like a hemorrhage in the cord. You can develop a little callus. Like if you were to weight lift and you didn't wear gloves, you'd have calluses all over your hands because there's nothing there, a layer protecting them. So what you need to do when you sing and when you speak is come from your mask in a certain place so that you don't start grabbing. You see all those muscles in my neck? I can probably really do that. There's a lot of them. And what we do as human beings when we get stressed out is we start grabbing and using muscles in our neck um, to help the vocal cords shut. And that's a big no-no. We want them to shut on their own. I liken it to a sit-up. It's like using your back and your neck to heave you up. You don't want to do that. You just have to use your core strength. And so that's kind of the best analogy I can give you on that. You touched on this just now, and it's so it was so fascinating for me. But I'm actually I I've experienced this myself, so I, I don't know if everyone else knows this. But um, the reason I know Valerie is actually she's also my vocal coach, and I and I was um, uh, and I've been a touring opera singer in my prior life. Um, but it was something that um, that I personally experienced as well that emotions whether it's stress, whether it's lack of sleep, also even phys physiologically lack of sleep and things, but stress or fear or just emotional things that you're dealing with absolutely impact the voice. Can you, and you talk about that in your book a little bit. Um, can you share a little bit more on that and how emotions can affect the voice and your ability to use it? So that's a, it's a long answer. I'm going to try to give a short, more compacted one, but it, 
you know, a lot of people, when you're afraid, you'll get a wobble in your voice, or sometimes you'll get a little bit of a crack in your voice. If you're afraid to sing, um, you'll have a dip, you'll have difficulty hitting a note or hitting a high note because your, your confidence isn't there. And so you, you're not leaning into it. You're, you're shying away from it. I tell my singers, the voice is like a fire hose. It's not a vacuum cleaner. And oftentimes when they get into the choruses and they get into higher, um, higher notes that they have to sing, they either grab and they, they pull a sound, um, which is damaging to the chords or they end up flipping and going into this really sort of light head voice, which sometimes is good for a song, but when you're warming up, you don't always want to be in that function. And so the emotions impact the voice because if you're afraid to do it and you're not learning how to do it like an athlete, you're going to get scared. And when you get scared, you're going to make big mistakes when you sing. It's almost like you can prepare, prepare, prepare for the game, but then you fumble or you drop the ball or you forgot the route in football because you, uh, you're, the adrenaline took over and you got afraid and you got scared. If you're a rookie player or you're a new singer, the fear starts to well up and it can be very terrifying. And even though my singers come in and they have this incredible instrument in class, with me, they can get on stage and some sometimes fall apart because the emotions are overwhelming when they see a crowd. Um, the emotions are overwhelming when they hear the crowd and the adrenaline starts to go. And it's just a nervous state of being. This The second thing that is um, something to be mindful of, uh, a lot of my singers get something called vocal dysphonia or spasmodic dysphonia, more spasmodic. And it, what it is is if you have a traumatic event in your life, uh, you know, a death of a loved one, or could be it could be a myriad of things, but something that gives you stress. Um, some of my clients have had traumatic events in their lives, and they have a little bit of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and what that does is when they're upset about something and they're trying to sing, their voice has this sort of disconnect or a wobble in it. And we have to, that's when the muscles in the neck squeeze and then it starts to cause dysfunction with the vocal cords. And so we have to make sure that everything is functioning. And my first job is to find out, is this person not winning in class because they're stressed out about something and it's causing a physical response? Or is it a physical response causing an emotional response? And sometimes those two things can be reversed. I have to figure out which one it is. And then I have to attack it from that side and start peeling back all the, the all the onion layers. Mm hmm uh it's it's so fascinating to me so the the release of you I, I remember one of your artists you talk about it in your book you actually help this artist some some kind some girl i'm not sure who it was um with a non-musical exercise and you have her write down all the things that she's scared of because you basically understood that she's getting in her own way because psychologically she's telling herself that she's not good enough or she can't or she whatever. Um, share that story because it was something that really moved me. And I think that it's a, it's a fascinating take on how emotions actually do affect the voice. And I, I would think that it's not just limited to singing. Actually, it's also, you know, having a voice and being able to express ourselves, like when we go to work or being able to say, no, I'm going to stand up for myself or um, the voice that we that we use in everyday life uh, as well. There's a lot of fear that that we attach to using it. So, yeah, I mean, that, that particular story, there was a young singer that came in and um, just very, very talented, but she had a lot of emotional baggage, if you will. And so when she would get scared, her voice wouldn't work for her. And um, it was frustrating for me as a teacher because 
her, she was so talented, but then she would start to lock up. Some singers lock up on stage and then they, they, they do well in their voice class. Some people lock up in class and they do well on stage. When you're on stage, it's all bets are off. You're on, there's nothing you can do. It's the lights are up. The people are there. The mic is on. Um, the band is, is on the stage, it's go time. And so you push through with adrenaline and some people don't like to sing one-on-one. -on -one. It's very terrifying for them to be in front of a teacher because, um, they're judging themselves and they think that I'm judging them and I'm not, I'm there to help them and to support them through that. Um, but it's what we say about ourselves. And so I had her write down just a list and a myriad of all the things that, that were, she was afraid of and what scared her. And it's almost like journaling a little bit. Um, you can get it all down on paper, organize the thoughts that get them out of your head and sort of and burn it. And we would just keep repeating sort of rinse and repeating this exercise every week until she got better and better and better and more and more comfortable with the process. Um, I psychology. I mean, there is psychology behind that. Just the identification of what those fears are and then the symbolism of destroying it, I think, is there's there's absolutely been studies about how powerful that is and and how that has caused um uh changes in human behavior just in the intention and the symbolism of it which is really fascinating well i i agree with that i mean i took a um one of those courses a long time ago when i was much younger and you know where you sit in a room full of people and you just sit there and listen for three days and and it kind of shows you all of your uh, kind of all of your issues and your baggage and your judgments. And, um, you know, they had us write a story and it was just an exercise. Um, and I was very resistant because I didn't want to show emotion and I didn't want to cry in front of peep strangers. You know, it was very embarrassing. And finally we wrote this story is about four pages and they set us up with partners and we had to read our story to the partner and it was the most fascinating exercise. And I could feel every bone in my body resisting it. I didn't want to read my story and I didn't want to read it to anybody. And I didn't want anyone to see me. And, you know, and then that was part of my journey of like, wow, you know, I'm really locked up and I don't like vulnerability. And where does this come from? And, you know, it was just all this stuff coming at me and cut your English. That's why <laughs> it's, fine. it's all fine. Nothing, nothing to hear. So I read it. And I was just crying and tears were streaming down my face. And I will never forget it. Um, and it was just my story. It was a story that I had created about something that happened to me and why I was so, you know, judgmental or angry or whatever I was going through. It was, I was in my 20s. Um, and then I read it again and I'm crying and I'm like, oh, I'm trying not to cry. And then the third time I read it uh, um, again to my partner and I started to dismantle this story. And I think by the fourth time I was die, I was just cracking up. I was dying laughing because I realized that even though it was very important to me that I was giving it life and I was giving this story and that what happened, all this power. And by reading it out loud five times, I went through a bunch of emotions each time I read it. And my last emotion was laughter and joy and and how silly the whole thing was and that I, that story no longer had power. It didn't define me anymore. And then we burned it. And it was the most cathartic thing I ever did. Just it was hands down the most amazing thing I ever did. And I am definitely not someone likes to journal. <laughs> I do not like to I don't like any of that stuff. You know, I'm like, I'm good. And so I slowly, slowly, slowly had to learn to relinquish that. And as I got into my 40s, um, I'm no longer in my 40s, but as I rolled into them, 
uh, I started to relinquish that power more and more, the more comfortable I got with myself. So I think that's, it's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a voice teacher and someone who spent their entire career, you know, focusing on the voice, what would you think, what is the, what is the purpose of the voice? Uh, the purpose of the voice for me is communication. Um, it's for singers, it's writing their stories down. It's kind of like the exercise we just talked about, but they do it in a song. It's cathartic. Mm -hmm. um, some people journal, uh, some people read, some people write, um, you know, other people write songs, but I think it's very, just a very cathartic way to express yourself. And I think what you mentioned earlier, some people, there's this really funny Seinfeld episode. I don't know if any of you ever watched Seinfeld, but <laughs> they have these different talkers. They have like the loud talker and hit talker and you can barely hear their, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> really hilarious episode of, um, you know, Jerry getting all upset about and the different talkers and how annoying these the, each of these personalities were. And I always remember that because I notice how many people can actually get on stage and turn into beasts, but they're very, very shy in their personal lives. They're very, very quiet when they come in. And then I have the opposite. Um, they're all just diametrically opposed where somebody will come in and they're, they're very, very loud and bombastic in their classes. And then they get up to sing and you'd think they were nine years old again. It's very interesting to watch those personalities. But I, I think to answer your question is, is the, the voice to me is communicating and being able to communicate in a way that's very, very clear. Um, and so I tell a lot of my uh, female students mostly that are younger that come in with these voices and they're like, Lah. and I said, you know, you can't talk like that in here because you sound like an idiot. And if you're going to be interviewed like that, you want to speak clearly. You want to speak clearly and concisely so people can under understand you. Hence, I'm sure what a lot of you do when you teach your classes is you're trying to mold people into being educated and concise and um, and communicative members of society, right? That's what we're all trying to accomplish is communication. You mentioned in the book, you actually talk about people finding their true voice. Now, this was something that really resonated with me because my true voice changes depending on what language I speak, right? And, and then also what I'm singing. So even the tone, the register, everything's very, very different. Like my, my American twang that I tend to go into, especially when it's in a loud room because it's a, a, a much um, more nasal sound and it's just, it's louder, it resonates more. Um, or um, if I'm speaking in, in German, it's very, it's, 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 and then in, when I'm speaking in, when I'm speaking in Italian, it's obviously, it's much higher. It's like, um, italiano, ma, and it's much more hands and it's very more, uh, more energetic and so on and so forth, but it, they're completely different personalities. Um, so I'm curious when you talk about finding your true voice, is it a tone thing? Is it a conscious thing versus an unconscious thing? Um, describe for me what it means to find your true voice. So it's kind of all of those things. I and mean, when we adopt different personalities in our speaking voice and some oftentimes girls, when they're very, very young, boys just hit a bag and or they argue or whatever, then they're over it. Girls, you know, women are a little different. So they'll speak in a certain way. 
they'll push their voices down to become more authoritative, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem with that is, is that, or maybe they caught a cold and someone they really liked told them they sounded really sexy. And then they're over the cold, but they got some type of what they thought was positive feedback. And so what happens was then they force their voices down and they start talking like that all the time, even though they don't really have a cold anymore. And the problem that I see is as that person gets older, they're maybe 21 now, but their voice's personality is still at 14. So I can hear it a mile away. And then oftentimes we need to level that out a little bit. I think for singers, um, I think I have a, a guy right now who's a you know big social media guy. He's great looking guy, young, really nice voice, very good country singer. But his whole thing to me was, I feel like he feels like he's mimicking. He's mimicking, you know, Luke Combs, like all these people that he grew up listening to. So we're trying to find his voice. And so I think with singers, it depends on whether you're singing opera or country, or I think you can adopt a different style, but finding your true voice technically and anatomically to me is not putting stuff on it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really more of not, singing out the side of your mouth or you're not mimicking it's basically not mimicking the artists that you enjoy because then you're just a really good singer who's singing karaoke you're you're, you're not really singing your true uh you're not coming from a real place so some of the most technical singers that i've ever worked with in my life are kind of boring i, I listen to them but they're these amazing vocalists but then some of the other singers may not have the best technique um, and they may struggle to hit notes and they may not always be um, technically sound, but their voices and what they have to say is so authentic and so interesting and so organic. So I just think it kind of runs the gamut. Yeah, I think a lot of that, though, also is about finding meaning behind things. And if you're if you're singing a song or if you're even if you're speaking, if you've got meaning behind it and you're uh, you've got the emotion there, then I think that has to be authentic and it has to be um, more interesting than if somebody's just performing it technically accurate, but empty behind the eyes. Right. Okay. It's got to come from a place. And that's what I always tell my singers. If you're just singing someone else's song, usually we know when you're singing someone else's song because it's empty. Like you said, it's not moving me in any way. But usually they come alive when they write their own material because it's a personal thing that happened to them. And mm -hmm. so there's more meaning behind it. And that's what really creates hits for us. Mm -hmm. we, we listen to music that resonates with us. It's a story. It's why people love country because it's so lyrically story driven. And, um, you know, whatever, wherever you are in your life, you know, all your kids are listening to rap music and, you know, I hate probably 98% of it, but it is what it is. And it's this time in their lives where they feel, oh, you know, they're all up in arms about something. And so I think it's where you are in your life. But music as a whole, what it does is it evokes so much emotion in us. You know, why at every gathering and wedding, you're on the floor to earth, wind and fire. I mean, you just can't sit. You can't sit down to that. You know, everybody's on the dance floor having a good time. And I think um, it takes us to a place that we felt happy and safe and joyful and we can listen to something new or we can listen. I can listen to something that I heard when I was 15 years old in high school and I'm right back to being 15 years old. And I think that's what's so magical about music.
Yeah, we've talked about that before in this program that, um, you know, self-care can mean many, many different things. And one of those things, you know, it might be meditation or yoga, but it doesn't have to be that. It can also be listening to your favorite, you know, anthem on the way to work and sort of get finding the power in that. And I do think music has a tremendous ability to move people and to shift how we feel and emotions and so on and so forth. So, uh I wanted to shift gears a little bit. So you, when you work with a lot of these artists, you focus a lot of your time on rehabilitation. Um, so you're often meeting them at quite a vulnerable time in their careers because something's not working. They're starting to, people know it's not working. People are worried. Um, so you have to walk into these rooms where they're very, very vulnerable and they have to, you have to earn their trust. How do you do that? How do you go about that? That's a good question. Um, I'm just me. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I think a lot of, uh, you know, I think, I think you have to have experience. That's the first thing as teachers, right? We have to, we get better with age. We do, we might get a little crankier, um, but, we, but we get better with age because we just simply know what we're talking about. We've been doing it for so long. And so when I am with them, I'm very real with them. And one of the things, this is my sound kind of weird, but one of the things that's very powerful for me is that I have so many students that if they're a fit, that's great. And if they're not, it makes no difference to me. So I am myself uh, with whomever I'm with. And I don't look at them as a big, huge superstar that's selling out, you know, stadiums all over the world. They're just a human being to me that needs help. And so I try to relate to them on a human level um, and a level where they feel safe and they feel that they can talk to me um, because everybody wants something from them. Everything's a grab constantly. And so I always have to be that safe space, maybe almost like a therapist um, or a physician where I come in at a level playing field and I really have to, um, that took me a really, really long time because I would start working with clients that I was like, oh my God, I, I can't believe I'm Jeff Bridges is coming in today. Like mm -hmm. that was a big one for me, um, you know, uh, and not like being able to respond to something, somebody in a human way. And I think as you, as teachers, when we're in our element, um, I don't know, I think, I think there's a connection when you know what you're talking about that that a higher power, if that sounds really weird, but there's somebody sort of channeling. I'm channeling something when I teach and sometimes things will come out of my mouth and I feel like they're not even my own words. They're coming from somewhere else. It's the wildest thing. But I think that's when you know you're supposed to be doing what you're doing. And so I guess to answer your question, it would be just a um, a, a comfortability, trying to establish a comfortability with them and a rapport with them that we're just both human beings and I'm I'm, I'm just here to help them. I guess also you, you touched on it, but also being able to, because you have the goods and because you can prove that, you know, you actually help them. Um, quickly sometimes, uh, then, you know, they have your trust in that sense too. Um, there was a very funny story about Las Vegas, about an artist. That, <laughs> uh, actually, I'll let you share. You share that story. It's a, it's a very funny story in the book. Um, do you want to share that story? Yeah, sure. So well, I trained a, I will call them a band. They were a band. Um, and they were doing a residency in Las Vegas and one of the band members, um, called me up and said, my lead singer, um, is having some issues. This person is one of the most 
amazing singers on the planet, by the way. He's liquid gold. His voice is absolutely incredible. But as he was aging and getting older, he was riffing all the time and he was losing vibrato. So he was like, like not training technically and athletically properly. And so the le- the record label was sort of um, asking someone to come in and just say, hey, can you help this person um, a little bit more technically? So they 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 sound like the record. There was just too many riffs and runs going on and they were tapping out live and they just wanted wanted the live stuff to sound a little bit more like the record, like the album. So I came in and um, it was really quite intense because I soon figured out when I got there that my lead singer had no idea that I was coming. I mean, this is this this person's like an icon in their genre. And I thought, oh my God, what am I gonna do now? Um, It was really nerve wracking. And this person, the singer had never had voice lessons before. And I knew this and I thought, oh, they're coming in on the, they're thinking, this guy's thinking, who is this woman coming in telling me how to sing, telling me what to do? And I thought, well, I've got two choices. I can either shy away from it and just do the bare minimum or I can completely take control and it works or it completely blows up in my face and I get screamed at and sent home. I had no idea what was gonna happen. So I pulled them aside. There was all the people in the green room. I asked everybody to get out. There was like 20 people backstage and we had about 40 minutes before they went on. I'd never met him before. Um, And so I came walking in, kicked everybody out. He's got dip in his mouth. So I asked him to spit the dip out. He spits it in a Coke can and just kind of had to take control of the room and started warming the singers up and the lead singer up and showing them sort of what they didn't know they didn't know about their own instrument. It was really interesting because I didn't quite know that I had him, but he was sort of deadpan uh, expression wise. And then I put my in-ears in. So I go on stage and I can hear his voice and his mix in my ear off stage. And I'm taking notes on my phone. And I thought, oh, this guy hates me. Like he just wants to kick me out. Um, I had, he was a total game poker face. And so he goes out to sing and we did get a good 30 minute warm up, which is probably more than he's ever done Mm -hmm. um, in 25, 30 years of his career of singing. Um, so he comes out and the band starts jamming and probably about third song in, he leans over to me and he says, all right, I was warm first song in instead of seventh. I got it. And he walked back out and he walked away and we've been great friends ever since. And so (laughs) those moments in life as a teacher where it's very terrifying and overwhelming because you're working with maybe a person that's very difficult or maybe they're, um, they're a very, um, intense, you know, individual, and you just have to own your power and own what you do and know that you're great at what you do and stand in that power and take charge. And if it doesn't work, then they were not meant to be your student or they're not meant to be in your class or, um, that's their problem, but you have to go in every single time owning your power, owning your teaching, own, owning what you do. And, and I would say probably nine times out of 10, it works out. I don't think I've everybody's, nobody's ever kicked me out or fired me. So it was a lesson for me to, to step up and to be courageous in a situation where I was very overwhelmed. So. So, so funny. Um, what, what do you think makes you a great teacher? Um, experience. I would say, actually, you're one of the, and I say this as a student, but you're one of the greatest listeners that I've ever heard, that I've ever seen. I mean, like you, 
in a, in a, a room, you can take it all in very quickly and know exactly and that. And then the experience, I guess, hits, but experience without that ear and without that desire to learn and, and so forth is meaningless, right? Um, I, I, I often explain who you are and I say, she's got the greatest ear and she can hear within five seconds what's wrong. So, um, uh, yeah, and that's a big compliment to you, but when did you know that things would, should shift for you? And cause you started as a singer, right? When did it shift for you that you wanted to be a pursue teaching rather than a career as a singer? So you guys will all appreciate this being educators, but, um, funny, not funny, but this is what, this was my story. So I was a singer. I was going to be a star. Um, you know, I grew up listening to, uh, Debbie Gibson, anybody <laughs> who funny enough, full circle moment. I ended up, uh, as a teenager listening to her and I ended up, we were the same age and we ended up both meeting when we turned 50 and I ended up training her, which was really wild. That's so, so funny. I've <laughs> had a few of those actually, where I would listen to people, and they were had posters of these people on my walls in the '80s, and I ended up training them. And I'm like, I this is crazy. This is this is remarkable. I never thought in a million years I'd be here, but I I was a singer. I was an actor. I was going to be on stage. I was going to be a pop star. I was going to be all of that. And um, I was working for Madonna. Um, I was doing sales and marketing, not vocal coaching. Um, and I was really, really unhappy. And I was still performing and teaching on the side. And in my mind, being a teacher was a cop-out. If I'm teaching, then I failed. And this is this is my 21-year-old brain. Um, I graduated from Chapman University and I studied opera with Dr. William Hall, who just passed. Um and uh, one of the greatest conductors of all time. I was very lucky to sing with him and the Chamber Singers for four years and then the LA uh, Chorale. Um, I was doing a lot of opera and a lot of um, musical theater, but I really wanted to sing pop. That was my direction um, after I graduated. And I was in the music business and I just found that I, I didn't like it. I, I was... Um, I was super unhappy and I, I slowly realized about 27 that I wasn't a really good writer. So um, meaning a songwriter, mm -hmm. um, I was a performer. So I didn't really figure that I was an artist. And I hit a point where someone had asked me to teach and, you know, I had always, I'd had vocal coaches my whole life and they were all a bit bizarre. I mean, I have to say, I had like one woman that smoked and it was the craziest thing. You know, it's like an Uta Hagen type thing where she's like, oh, I'm going to teach you about acting. And mm -hmm. I had another man that was, you know, really charismatic, but a little bit off. And I'd had all these like crazy experiences with, with teaching, but I loved all my teachers. I just, I remember loving all my teachers um, and learning something from everybody. And about probably my late twenties, mid twenties, somebody asked me to teach. And I said, oh, that's a totally different ball of wax. Teaching is a huge responsibility. You're taking these singers' voices in your hands. It's not just a bunch of scales and lottie dahs and send you out the out the door. I mean, it's anatomical, it's physical, it's it's very difficult. So I started teaching this this child, and um, I really loved it. I really really loved it. And then I did it more and more and more. And I had this one girl who had vocal notes, and she was just talking too much and. Um, I had had notes as a teenager, two calluses on the chords. I was over singing everything. 
Um, and I didn't know how to balance my voice. I just didn't understand um, how to do it, even though I'd had all these teachers. And I met a mentor in my early 20s that taught me all of the things that I teach now. And I was so blown away by it. And I never remember I mean, I will always remember sitting in a class and the girl comes in and she says, I'm since I've been training with you, I don't have nodes anymore. I'm nodule free. And she said, my my um, doctor, my ear, nose and throat took me off the books for surgery. Wow. I kind of had a moment where I remember being in that space and I kind of took my breath away a little bit. I must have been 28 years old at the time. And I thought, and I just lost my father and I, I was looking for a sort of a career shift. And it was so clear to me that I was supposed to be teaching it because I helped her through my own experience. And I didn't have the, we didn't have the lasers that we have today. I didn't have any help back in 1989. I mean, it was really scary and nobody was going to cut me with a scalpel. I had to figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. So I dove into pathology and I dove into books and I went to Japan for a few summers and I breathed in the humidity and I read and I read. Um, and I just, in that very moment, it shows me if that makes sense to any of you, I, I didn't, really? I didn't think I was going to be a teacher. I actually had a palm reader, which I just did for fun at 22. And she goes, Oh, you're going to be a teacher. And I, I get really upset. <laughs> I'm not a teacher. I'm a singer. I'm a performer. I'm not going to teach, you know, that's for people who don't make it. And it was such a, it was so crazy to me. And now sitting here, I absolutely made the right choice. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Um, I feel very blessed and very lucky. I've touched hundreds of thousands of singers and broadcasters and people that need their voices that felt like they didn't have any help. Um, and one of the things that I do just to wrap that up is I never have an ego. I try not to have an ego about it. No matter where I'm at in my career, I always try to ask for help and surround myself with people that are smarter than me or different than me, um, surgeons, so that I can keep learning and keep feeding my students what they need to be great. And I think that was the moment where I realized that I didn't want to perform anymore, that I had to teach and that this was the only path for me. And then I was all in, all my chips were in. I so love that. It's so fascinating. Uh, I think, I think that first of all, we're so lucky to have you. And, and I think, you know, and I say this as, as a client, but also as a huge fan of 99.9% .9 of your clients. Um, uh, I just wanted to share one little story and I'm, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. So I'm not going to name names, but I actually am very, very good friends with a couple. One of them, they're both, uh, they're both in broadcast, they're both, um, you know, TV personalities, husband and wife, and uh, the husband has actually been a client of yours, and never loses his voice, even after a big night out partying, you know, going to, you know, all these different events and working all day and so on and so forth. And the wife has not been to you. And every single evening out, every single big event, she loses her voice. So I said to her um, at their wedding, I'm going to give you my gift to you is some lessons with Valerie. So we're going to have to recap and, 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 and let everyone know how that goes. But I think, you know, come three months time, I'm going to give an update as to whether she's still <laughs> losing her voice. But it is a tremendous, it makes a tremendous difference to people's ability to keep going professionally. Um, and I can tell you for me, I mean, I can feel it in my own voice right now. We're moving right now. So I'm mid, we're moving house and we're in amongst boxes and there's like a hundred people coming and going. 
Um, and I can feel it because you're not sleeping as well. And I can only imagine with teaching when you're when you're in a classroom, constantly talking and talking and talking that when you come home, what can you do? So what's one thing that we can um, give our teachers who um, who speak a lot? Uh, what's one thing that they can do when they get home? And I know what you're going to say. Vocal rest. I knew you were going to say that. Vocal rest. Okay. Vocal rest is so scary for people. It is so scary. It is, but it's the most amazing thing ever when you give that gift to yourself because we expend so much energy when we when we speak, um, and you'll be so amazed at how much energy you save and store up and. Uh, it's when you get off the vocal rest. I mean, sometimes if I don't have a lot of time, I'll do three in the afternoon and then I won't talk to my, well, my kids are both 15 now. I have twin boys. And even when they were babies, I would, you know, I would pretend and I would laugh and giggle with them, but I would be on a vocal rest. And sometimes for a day or two, um, if I'm out at a show or I've just been teaching too much and I I had to go on a little vocal rest today, I was a little rough because I had a client on Jimmy Kimmel a few nights ago, and there were three times as many people backstage as there normally is, which I hate. And there's tons of people talking and I'm trying to socialize and talk over that in between the performances. And I could just feel it today. I woke up and I was like, oh God. So I did a vocal rest last night all the way through till our our conference, basically um, our meeting. Um, so vocal rest is, is really, really important because not only does it stop the vocal cords from smacking against each other constantly, because they do this when you talk all day long and you're wearing them out. If you can just rest them and not even say a word, not even hello. Uh, we live in an age now where we can type and text and all of that. I used to do vocal rests when we had wall telephone walls and, you know, telephones on the wall rather, and no, no computers. There was no way to connect with anybody. It was very lonely. So I tell my students, if I can do it, you can do it. Um, but it really does save you and it saves your energy and you'll start talking and you'll figure, you'll feel like a little refreshed. You'll go, gosh, I actually feel kind of energetic and more refreshed today. There's something about just being silent. That's amazing. Do you know what was fascinating to me is I never realized how many people um, expect the voice from me and how my kids got really upset when I was on vocal rest once. And I remember walking and I was like, I'm just walking the dogs. This is going to be an easy vocal rest moment. But then um, somebody waves hello and I'm like, like I'm waving hello quietly. And they're like, wow. Afterwards, they said, you didn't say hello. Like, is everything okay? Like, why didn't you say hello to me? I was like, no, I'm just on vocal rest, please. It's like, it's the funniest thing. Yeah, I would, I would have a sign in the grocery store and I would do a full day and I would go shopping and errands, whatever. Um, and I don't have to do it that seriously anymore. But when I was younger, I was going out more and I was tired. And so I would literally before phones, I would write on a white, like a little piece of paper whiteboard. I just put singer on vocal rest and I would show it to them so they wouldn't get upset. Yeah. I would nod and I'm like, why is this person not talking to me? I mean, can they speak? What's wrong with her? Yeah. And But the funny thing is, is they don't go, oh, okay. They start whispering. They're like, <laughs> that's so funny. I'm so on vocal rest. You don't have to be. So true. Um, humidity. Is that also something that, you know, standing in a shower for a while and letting it steam over you? Yep. Um, what about tea and things like that? Right now, little tea, little honey. Yes. Good. good the cords but the only thing that you can do for for when you feel sucked of energy and you're tired of talking once you start feeling 
I just feel tired when I'm talking. I'm just tired. You're, that's your body telling you you need, to, you need to stop and you need to go on a voice rest. And everybody exactly. around you just has to get over it. Mm-hmm. Right? My kids know. They're like, my husband loves it when I'm on voice rest. He's like, great. <laughs> you know, they say women and men have a different number of words that we have to get rid of every day. So I'm curious to know if vocal rest messes with that, because I will say on days when I'm not talking a lot and then I get home and I'm, you know, to my husband, like, blah, 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 and I have a million <laughs> different things to say. And he's like, oh, you haven't seen very many people today, have you? <laughs> whereas, 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 whereas other days I'm, I'm just exhausted. I speak, I've been speaking all day and I come home and I'm like, I can't even make a decision as to what dinner is, you know, I just, anything. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. When your voice is worn out, your brain gets worn out. When your brain is worn out, you can't think about grocery shopping or what's for dinner. It's almost like we feel confused. I do. I feel confused when my voice is tired. Um, and people don't tap into that enough. They're like, they don't even know that it's happening because nobody's brought it to their attention. Mm-hmm. But thing. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to open it up. If anyone had any questions for Valerie, just uh, feel free to jump in or raise your hand or write it in the comments. Okay. Who are your favorite artists to listen to as a fan? Oh, that's a really good question. Mm, uh, I love, well, I like the eighties. I mean, I grew up in the eighties, so I'm going to tell you all eighties music. I'm going to tell you Brian Ferry, um, Peter Gabriel, um, Phil Collins, Sting, um, George Michael was one of my favorite singers of all time. I just love, love him. Um, who else? Who else? I don't really, hmm. I like some Sia. I like a lot of her stuff. Um, I do like a lot of my clients' music, but I tend to listen to older music for some reason I think because I work with them that I I, I don't want to listen to it because I'm working on it it's like work mm-hmm. to me so it's amazing mm-hmm. I want to listen to something else that and someone else that I don't know and don't work with so I yeah. don't know how to do that, but. okay cool um Ms. Vincent also said uh she didn't have any questions but uh but it's been very inspirational and helpful so thank you for making the time um Irene asked uh do you know Arthur Joseph founder of the vocal awareness I've heard of that name before, but I don't know. I don't know that organization specifically. Mm. No. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if no one else has any other questions, oh, here you go. The school gets very, the school gets very dry and I almost always end up with laryngitis uh, chronically. What would you do in this case? I could, if they let school lets you bring a humidifier, a steam humidifier into your classroom, the doors are usually always shut, right? When you're teaching kids or out of school, I would bring in like a, a grade A humidifier um, and just plug that thing in and put it on like if it's a cold mist or a warm mist, depending on if it's hot or cold climate, it really does make a difference. It's a nice humid atmosphere and um, it's really great for the voice. Yes, yeah, throat coat tea is also really great for that too. Right throat on top tea of that, is really good, but drink it sparingly because even though licorice root coats the throat, it also dries you out. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so some people have said, "Oh, it, I love it," and I bet other students go, "Oh, I just get so dry when I drink it." Ah, okay. yeah, it's a dry. It's 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 weird. It works differently. It coats, but it can dry if you have too much of it. Okay. So, up. Uh, oh, that interestingly, what is your your go to healthy drink other than tea or water? 
Uh, vodka. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Uh, let's see my healthy drink. I do green drinks. I mean, I love them. I just mash them up in the morning and I'm very, um, I have reflux. I've had it for a long, long time. Um, so it just alkalines my system and it helps me start my day. It's got all my vitamins and minerals in it. So I, I like a green drink in the morning. Yeah. I'm with Javier with tequila. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that's it for the question. So Valerie, I just wanted to say thank you again uh, for joining us. As always, you're so generous with your time and it is just so helpful to have everyone be able to sort of hear about these tips and hear about what you do and just start thinking a little bit about what we can do every day to protect our own voices and what that also means. For everyone else, please just stay on for a couple minutes. We are just gonna wrap something up. Yes, the book, your fabulous book. We are going to um, send you guys a link to where you can find that. Um, and we're also going to send a link to your website, Valerie, just so that everyone can see where, where you know, get yeah. in contact or, or see who you are. Right before I go, thank you for having me, Nadine. Thank you for listening and, 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 uh, and staying plugged into this, but you can get this on Amazon, but it's for everyone that has a better voice. It's called a better voice. Um, and as an educator and a teacher and someone who uses their voice all day, I promise you there will be um, a lot of information in there that you'll take with you um, in your teaching careers that you had no idea even existed. So if you want to grab a copy, it's on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Teach, Reflect, Recharge, Repeat. Explore more about our work at pdreimagined.com and discover how together we can redefine professional development to focus on the whole person. Don't forget to subscribe for more inspiring episodes. Until next time, keep the spark of learning alive.